This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here and welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beat show. A lot of Georgia football and SEC football to talk about. We've officially entered silly season. I'm sure most of you saw Sunday morning the reports that Jimbo Fisher was going to be fired. We follow up today with Zach Garnett, the Mississippi State coach, getting fired. There's a lot more to come, and the phones are going to be ringing at Georgia. You better believe that Glenn Schumann is going to be getting some calls, maybe a a text message, maybe an email, an unofficial coach. I'm not with the school, but I just want to know a lot is about to transpire in college football. Certainly the transfer portal getting warmed up, or as Lane Kiffin says, a lot of pre-portaling going on, a lot of relatives being reached out to, hey, I know he's not playing a lot, and our coach really likes him. A lot of coaches that said, hey, remember when I recruited you and I told you that you'd have an opportunity here? Well, you still do. That's all going to be happening. Now, I know Georgia fans, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a third national championship to be won. Right. Kirby Smart has a chance to enter the conversation with Paul Bear Bryant. Georgia wins this next game. That's 28 in a row. That matches the Bear, 1978 to 80. That matches Gene Stallings and what he did when Kirby was a kid growing up in Montgomery before the family moved to Georgia. His dad, a high school coach, of course, Sonny Smart. This is legendary stuff. This is stuff that makes Kirby Smart stop take pause. And when I asked him about it Saturday night after the game, he said, rare air, man. He didn't blow the question off. He didn't try to get, he stopped. He paused. He noted it. He passed Nick Saban's streak. Saban won 26 in a row, 15 and 16. Kirby's done 27 in a more competitive era of college football than Nick Saban. So Kirby now on the Mount Rushmore, you might wonder, what is that backdrop? Is that what is that hideous orange and white that Georgia fans want to know? They call it checkerboarding. And while I don't think that's going to happen on Saturday night, I do know that Dolly Parton's going to be there. The balls are hoping for a little magic, bringing Dolly in. A, a lot of the fans say, well, that's better than Peyton Manning because they can't seem to win a game when he shows up. But Dolly Parton will be there. And that's the big news out of night. It's probably the most excited thing Josh Heifel talked about. He was excited because his mom would be happy that Dolly Parton was going to be there. So that is sets the stage for this week. Georgia focused, big road game, Tennessee, 14 wins in a row for the Vols in Neyland Stadium. It's the third longest streak in all of college football behind Georgia and Michigan. 14 in a row. I believe that goes back to Georgia beating Neyland, uh, winning in Neyland Stadium in 2021. So great game for Georgia Saturday night. Quick recap, if, if you're living under a rock, it was an outstanding performance for Georgia. They fell behind again at six out of seven SEC games they've trailed in. Uh, another, yet another team scored on their opening drive. Kirby was pissed. He said it was trying his patience. That's four games in a row now. The opponents have opened the games with touchdown drives, but then you saw Georgia get dialed in. It's 14-14, and all of a sudden, a 31-0 run. You saw the adjustments. Schumann, Muschamp, he said, Javon Bull, Bullard in the, in the secondary come up with that hit. On Quinshawn Judkins, all of a sudden, it started to hurt a little bit more. Right, Jackson Dart decides to tuck it, thinks he's going to take on a cornerback, doesn't see the 310-pounder in pursuit behind him. Pow, he's out of the game. Turn the lights out. Old Miss was done for all intents and purposes, right? Georgia offense, Kendall Milton got that piano off his back. Poor kid, hamstring injuries, knee sprain, missed a game, looked like himself. 
don't be surprised if Milt doesn't get hot here, right? That agent's in, hey, Milt, these NFL teams want to know, man, what do you got? He's showing you down the stretch. Be interesting to see if Kendall Milton can lace together some 100-yard games down the stretch as they take on Tennessee Vols, Georgia Tech. You saw that's a night game, not a noon game, a night game. People aren't going to sleep through it. People outside the state of Georgia might actually take note of that game. Don't forget, Brent Key's team last year, very competitive with the dogs in the first half in Athens, and they've got a win over North Carolina this year. Not saying Tech's going to beat them, but they always seem to bring that stinger out. Somebody always seems to get hurt or suspended. or It's just nothing good about that game at the end of the year. It's a wholly different topic. Sidebar, we'll discuss another day. I I don't think it's a good idea to play your rival of the week before the SEC championship game. So Georgia with the big win, they ran Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss out of Sanford Stadium. All the Kiffin jokes and, and Twitters, it's you, you can forget about it. You're not going to hear from him anymore for at least a couple more weeks. He'll beat Mississippi State and act like they, you know, just you know won the world or something. They do have a chance for a top 10 finish. Um, I do think the case could be made that the Missouri Tigers may be the second best team in the Southeastern Conference. Now, a few weeks ago, Drew Butler said that on ANF, on their SEC Roundup show, a lot of people said, Griff, you got that wrong. Are you sure he said that? Because I need to, I didn't hear him say, I said, no. They asked him, and he said Missouri. He didn't say it all in the same sentence. But yes, Missouri, and you saw it against Georgia. They won the line of scrimmage against Georgia. They were driving for a potential game-winning touchdown when Brady Cook remembered that he played at Missouri and threw it to a Georgia defensive lineman. Missouri blew that game. Georgia coaching won that game. Missouri didn't blow last week. And now I want to bring on my guest, John Pennington from Knoxville. John is a producer, does a tremendous job with his show. Love it. Used to be a big part of it. Um, a guy that I look up to, and, and you'll understand why quickly as we bring John on to discuss the Missouri-Tennessee game and all things SEC. John, welcome to the program. Tell us about this Tennessee football team. Where do we start and what do we expect? Yikes. After the uh, loss to Missouri, I think you're going to have to see whether or not they can get their minds right again. Uh, that was a brutal beatdown. It's funny, they avoided, they played UConn at noon the week before. That is where you would expect to see the letdown. Instead, it looked like a letdown against Missouri. Now, the backstory there is last year at the end of a 66-24 win for Tennessee, uh, Josh Heupel stuck one more touchdown in the end zone. So, Eliah Drinkwitz all week whipped his uh, team up with the we're going to get these guys back approach. Uh, they had a guy in a – they had the coonskin cap they were passing around on the sideline. Uh, they wanted a piece of Josh Heupel's hide. So, it was one of those things, you know, those receipt games, those vengeance games. Tennessee had one earlier this year against South Carolina. Well, this was one where they walked into an absolute buzzsaw. And Missouri, as you just finished saying, that's a real team. They're a good team. Uh, I don't know if they're – better than Alabama, but they're a good team. Uh, I do think that Tennessee uh, is a flawed team, uh, obviously. Uh, you're probably looking at an eight and four season, given the what's expected to happen with Georgia. Uh, they're not a bad team. I just put them in there with a lot of the other SEC schools right now. It's kind of like Georgia and Alabama have the two best coaches. Georgia and Alabama are more consistent than any other programs in the league. Georgia and Alabama tend to get better as the year goes on. Whereas Tennessee's just kind of in there. I mean, would you be surprised if they lost to LSU and they played them? Would, they, would you be surprised if they beat LSU? Would you be surprised if, uh, you know, uh, Florida upsets Tennessee? Would you be upset if – would you be surprised if Tennessee uh, knocks off uh, some of the – Ole Miss? No, all those teams are all kind of 
together in a bunch with Alabama and Georgia up here, I think. Missouri's close, but I'm still not ready to go there and put them up there in that rarefied air. That game Saturday, I've been asked a million times. We do the, the Sunday morning show on WATE that I host and produce. Uh, and the, uh, the thing was, uh, what happened? I don't know. I don't think Tennessee's coaches know. I don't think anyone knows. It was just one of those games that you see in college football. They came in with the number one rush offense in the SEC, couldn't run the ball. They came in with the number one rush defense in the SEC, got shredded. Cody Schrader ran all over them, caught passes. The first time a guy had gone for 200 and 100 in an SEC game. So um, if you're looking at that and thinking, what is the carryover? From a, from a play, uh, from an on-field perspective, I don't know. Up here, this is the concern. Do they actually uh, – can they get this team focused again to think, you know what, this Georgia team embarrassed you last year. Your offense looked terrible. We can get off the mat and do something. That's a big ask. That's a big ask. I, I don't think that they are as consistent as anyone would want them to be. Their offense – uh, you know, last year covering this team, myself and a lot of others, a lot of fans thought, wow, this hypo system, man, you just plug people in. Well, it turns out Hendon Hooker was probably a little bit better than I expected. Uh, Jalen Hyatt was spectacular. You take him and Cedric Tillman off the team. That's a big loss at receivers. Their receivers haven't been as good at playmakers. Their quarterback hasn't been as good. Joe Milton's very indecisive. Indecisive with where he goes to the football, indecisive with whether or not he wants to run, which is a big part of their offense. So you then look at the offensive line. They lost Jalen. Uh, they lost um, uh, really good uh, Darnell Wright off the uh, right tackle last year. Lost him first round NFL draft pick. They just had a hard time replacing those guys. They do not have the Kirby Smart talent pool yet. Not that they ever will, but they don't have a situation where it's just shark's teeth. Oh, this guy's gone. Another guy falls into his place. So they're not there yet. Uh, I do think Hypel gives them a fighting chance, uh, but to me. Uh, it, it, it's going to be a long, hard slog if they're going to upset anybody in, in Neyland Stadium on Saturday. If they're going to knock off Georgia, it's going to take a lot of work. I don't see it happening. That, that is a very realistic view from John Pennington of the Sports Source. That's what he's here for. He's not here to, you know, to, to be the Tennessee fan. That isn't what John does on his show. And uh, his, his show is so fantastic. If you don't get a chance, if you haven't seen the Sports Source, I know it's on – on YouTube. John, how did you open your show up Sunday? I'm always, you always have tremendous statistics. You have a great panel, obviously, but you usually have a pretty nice format and there, there's always a method to the madness. You always open with one. It's like you're setting everybody up for the knockout. How did the show open and what were some of your talking points for the Tennessee audience on Sunday morning? Well, uh, the way we do the show now, it just kind of opens with our big picture talking, but big picture takeaways. And the takeaways were pretty much, well, that was a total butt kicking. Uh, that was one that nobody saw just their, the, them getting run off the field the way they did. It's one thing to lose. It's another thing to lose like that. And unfortunately, they had a loss like that at South Carolina last year. So now, okay, two years in a row. Aha, Hypo can't win in November. Hypo can't win on the road. Um it's a bit of an uh, an overreaction, I think, to some of that stuff uh, on the show Sunday. We went through his road numbers. His road numbers aren't bad. He's losing to really good teams on the road. Uh, and he's got three or four good wins on the road. So the road thing's kind of a – that's a mirage. A reality for this team, one thing that we did bring up Sunday that I think is interesting, will be interesting for Georgia fans, uh, did the research last year, and it's continued on this year. When Josh Heupel's teams at Tennessee fall behind by 11 or more, he is 0-10. He is 1-10 when, when his team trails at halftime. Now, 
most people look at that offense and they think, oh, yeah, it's pass happy. It's air raid. It's deep ball. It isn't. It never has been. This is a team. This is an offense. It's called the veer and shoot when Art Briles ran it. It's a whole lot of option. And when their run game is stopped or when they fall behind and have to start throwing more and can't lean on the run game, it's like watching a 1977 Oklahoma or Nebraska team. You remember those old teams, Mike, where, okay, they do the option, and, buddy, they're spectacular until you get down on them, then they get up on them, then they're finished. There's no way to come back. Uh, that's kind of what we've seen with Josh Heupel's team. So going against a team like Georgia who's going to stop their run, I mean, you saw Missouri, what they did was they just put eight in the box and said, good luck. Well, you couldn't run on it. Uh, so it will be interesting to see if if Tennessee can have any kind of run game against Georgia. And if not, I don't see how they win this game because uh, once they fall down 11, it is lights out. Uh, their biggest comeback under Josh Heupel is a 10-point uh, deficit in the second quarter against Pitt last year. The only time they've come back from a deficit at halftime, they were down three to Texas A&M earlier this year. So, you know, once Georgia gets up, and this is, we're talking Georgia. It's ridiculous for me to even say this. If, if I were talking about Joe Average football team, you could say if so-and-so gets up by this many, then it's going to be tough for Tennessee. It's Georgia. They're going to get up by 11 or more. So I, I just don't see – sorry to any Tennessee fans who are watching this, but I just don't see any way <laughs> that Tennessee can, can pull this upset. You know, the, the big thing going for them is, as you mentioned, 14-game home winning streak dating back to the last time Georgia was in the stadium – the atmosphere is there is pretty cool, but Georgia has the light show and all that stuff too. I don't think they're going to be quaking in their boots, especially at three thirty. So, how good is the light show going to be when it's daylight outside? So, to me, it's just going to be a, an uphill climb. And this Tennessee team doesn't play well from behind, and most teams are behind with Georgia. So, do the math on that. Fair enough. And. Josh did announce earlier today at his press conference, I'm in Knoxville covering the Tennessee side of this. We obviously have a, a pretty deep team in Dog Nation back in Athens covering the Georgia side. It's a big week for Georgia. This is a game that a lot of Georgia fans have pointed to. Um, you know, they had road trips to Auburn. Plenty of people have been there plenty of times. Quite frankly, not a lot to do there. Vanderbilt, which the whole city of Not Nashville is under construction and you know, that stadium was just, I can't even tell you what a bad experience it was for people. You had to walk through the basketball gym to get to the football stadium, which it was just, it, it just weren't, it wasn't a lot of fun, John. But yeah. but Knoxville's a great city, right? Marketplace, uptown, uh, it's really a large metropolitan area. It's, it's, it's a big league city with a college team, and there'll be a lot of energy. And by Friday, Saturday, there'll be a lot of buzz. There'll be a lot of Tennessee fans talked into the talked into their team. Having a, it happens yeah. every week. I know yeah. they're down right now. I think gambling has – I was talking to somebody. I said, do you think gambling just kind of – as intense as Knoxville was, does it just like, you know, put the magnifying glass on the ant and it just makes it that much worse when you lose because when you saw that one-point line, you just knew the Vols were going to beat Missouri and how much did you lose, right? And I, I wonder – it even happens at uh, Georgia, John. They were – Kirby was asked after the Missouri game about getting booed this guy, no, Grant. This guy just tied the school record for most consecutive home, and there were people booing that Georgia was running clock late in that game, as opposed to trying to score. Now, I think Kirby might be, I don't know, two and six or two and three, and so, whatever he is against the spread, it hasn't been good. But I'm sure there, there isn't it amazing though how I think this has affected things. But I do think it's still a game, like I said, a lot of Georgia fans traveling for. I know Dog Nation, we're having what we call our 
our dog nation invasion. And we have a setup at, at some of these road select road games where a lot of fans will meet and tailgate and they purchase tickets. And our company actually rented a riverboat along yeah. the Tennessee river the, on game. Star of Knoxville. I think it's the star of Knoxville is the name of that riverboat. I think I don't think we're supposed to say the name because oh, sorry. it was immediately met with, I'm joking. It was immediately let, met with, this is going to shock you. But there was a lot of Tennessee fans that were taught that were threatening to, to blockade the boat and bring the ball Navy out in force. I mean, it was not a, Tennessee fans weren't excited to hear that Georgia fans were in a tailgate on a Tennessee riverboat. Does that surprise you, John? No, nothing in the SEC surprises me. Well, I take that back. The fact that Georgia fans, any Georgia fans, plural, two people booing Kirby Smart, I, I don't care for any reason. What, what are you thinking? What are you, what are you thinking? I mean, fans are crazy anyway. I mean, I'm a fan of pro teams, and I'm kind of crazy about them, but not to the level of, of that. If a guy's winning 27, 28 games in a row, I probably don't boo him, and I probably just pray that he never leaves. That would be the way I would handle it. Uh, but, no, Tennessee fans are uh, – Georgia fans know this. They're, they're, it's hard to beat the passion that you find anywhere in the SEC, but especially here in, in Appalachia. Uh we are a special kind of crazy and everything, everything in Knoxville is some sort of an attack on Tennessee. We will find some way to say you are disrespecting us. That is just part of our being uh, with social media. It's happening everywhere now, but that's always been Tennessee takes pride in that. We, we will find it. we got a chip on our shoulder for something, anything. Uh, so yeah, Georgia fans will come up here. It, it's usually a pretty fun trip though. You, one of the good things is when you hear other fans on message boards and stuff, Typically, you don't get the horror stories that you get from folks when they go to Gainesville or go to Baton Rouge. Usually, people have pretty good things to say. They're bad fans anywhere, so somebody have a bad experience. But Knoxville is one of those where visiting fans usually have a pretty good time up here. And as you say, Market Square is now taken off. All of downtown Knoxville is now a place to see, which wasn't the case 10, 15 years ago. It's it's a nice place to go and visit restaurants, bars, all up and down that whole area. Um, and campus has changed a lot too. So um, it's a, uh, should be a fun trip for Georgia. Um, you know, I don't know, heck, I, I'm making it sound like I'm the, the um, Chamber of Commerce, especially when you throw in the fact that I don't give Tennessee much of a chance in this game. Come on up, enjoy yourselves. It'll be a beatdown. Uh, I'll be running out of Knoxville for saying that. They'll have a chip on their shoulder about that. But I think most Tennessee fans, though, would agree with me right now. They're, you might have noticed this during the press conference. Uh, they're not in good spirits after that Missouri game. It's been a little bit surprising to me the quick turnaround, the about face that a lot of people have now had with Josh Heupel. Guy comes in, he inherits the dumpster fire of dumpster fires, which is saying something considering the number of dumpster fires Tennessee has had since 2005, we'll say. Um, he comes in here, wins seven games his first year, which was miraculous. Second year goes 11-2, and two, puts up a good offensive product. I'm talking about how their offense isn't as good this year. They're still averaging 34 points a game or something. Um, fans, though, look at it and say, okay, he's not the one. Check social media. They're out. There's a lot of fans that are out on Josh Heupel. Hey, just another mid-major coach. Another Butch Jones. Time to move on. When is Tennessee going to get serious and go get a, a big-name coach and spend big money on a proven winner from a big school? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, Jimbo Fisher's available. Uh, you want Lincoln Riley? How about Brian Kelly since Heifel went and kicked his ass in Baton Rouge last year? There are two guys in this country, Saban and Smart, 
who your fans booed apparently over gambling issues. Just just uh, just a few, John. Just a few to be crazy. clear. It wasn't a shower of booze, but any booze were noted. Exactly. They should be those, handful. Those, those people should have been dragged out. But um the, the, basically you got Kirby Smart, you got Nick Saban, you got everybody else. And that's that's the thing. To live in a world where you think, well, we went 11 and 2 last year. I uh, don't care what we're losing. Therefore, you have to go uh, 12 and 1 this year, at least. And then next year, 13 and 0. And then the year after that, he's going to have to figure out a way to win 17, 18 games uh, because you can't ever take any step back, ever. Okay, that may be fine at Alabama. That may be fine at Georgia. Maybe Ohio State, although I got a lot of friends from when I lived in Columbus. They're not thrilled with Ryan Day, no national titles, no real playoff success, and he keeps losing to Michigan, even though they cheated him. Uh, so, you know, there just aren't many of these coaches out there to go get. But Tennessee, despite going through 500 different coaches and seeing spinning that wheel over and over and over, not as bad as Mississippi State, mind you, but they spin that wheel, and now they're looking at a guy who has a chance. If he wins nine games this year, he'll have won 20 games in two years taking over what he took over. And there are people who think he's not the guy and we don't need to give him any more time. We need to go looking for the next guy. So to me, there may be some fans out there who are agreeing with me in saying Tennessee doesn't have a chance against Georgia this week because a lot of these people are down on Josh Heupel. Uh, I got hammered on, on my emails and social media over the weekend, just people saying, okay, it's time for this guy to go. He's not the answer. It's clear he's not the answer. Can you create an elite program? Got this during yesterday's show, brought it up. Somebody, a friend of mine, Texas and said, can you really have an elite program with this style of offense? Mike, what's an elite program? It's Georgia. It's Alabama. That, if the answer is, I want a team that never loses. Okay, if that's your definition of elite, there's only two guys that can do it. There's only two guys that can do it. And only one of those, no offense to Kirby Smart, only one of those guys has ever built it from scratch at two different places. Saban built it from scratch at LSU, built it from scratch at Alabama, Smart, at least, inherited a really good program from Mark Rick. And, he, in, you know, he's sitting in the, the deepest pool of recruits in the country. Those two are the only great ones. Only one of those has proven, I can go do this anywhere, anytime, build it from scratch. Other than that, for Tennessee fans to be looking at Josh Heupel thinking, we need to look around and find something else. Who else is there? And I know it's not just Tennessee fans. That's college sports in general. Mississippi State firing. What are they gonna, is the next guy going to get, like, three games? Give him a half. You'll know after a half whether or not it's It was unbelievable to see Jimbo fired Sunday. It was even more unbelievable to me Monday. And when you told me this, that this was kind of – that there were some e emails and there were some people out on Josh Heupel, I just, I just kind of shrugged. I mean, the sports source show rides the wave and it's intense, and that's exactly how it felt Sunday. I was convinced. I'm like, John is getting the complete game hangover. It's Sunday morning. This is what he – it's Monday, and I saw it, and I felt it with my own two eyes. I was like, wait a minute. This guy's really good. Tennessee's going to go eight and four. They have thrown a parade a few years ago. For eight. This program is in better shape now than it's been collectively since Philip Fulmer went to the SEC championship game in 07. It's in the best shape it's been in in 15 years. So I'm a little surprised. But then again, maybe I shouldn't be because, like you said, it's an emotional crowd. Uh, the expectations were probably uh, unrealistic after an 11-win season. Um, but we're going to talk about that. We need to take our halftime break right now. And when I come back, I'm going to ask John about filling the shoes of Jimbo Fisher and Zach Arnett 
about other coaches in the league who could be in trouble and his thoughts about these guaranteed coaches contracts. I know we all want a guaranteed contract like Jimbo Fisher has. What a nice deal. But right now, uh, the guarantee I'm going to talk to you about is the guarantee that you get every time you go to Ingles. You know what you're going to get. Ingles has been there for us. Ingles was there during COVID. Um, we had to count on Ingles, and they came through. Um, and I appreciated that. Uh, they've come through as our sponsor of this program every Monday night. We couldn't do the show without them. I know you appreciate them, too. Let's take a moment now and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Well, welcome back to the program. We're joined by John Pennington. He is the producer, owner, host on SportsSource.tv. A fantastic show you can see at the Knoxville every Sunday afternoon. Does a lot on Tennessee, obviously, but John touches a, a lot of the SEC and has a great working knowledge of the league. Um, you might know him as Mr. SEC from back in the day. I think he's still Mr. I still think he's paying attention to all this. John, who's going to be the next Texas? I want you to break it down. I don't need you to handicap it. Yeah, there you go. But who are your choices and who do you think Texas A&M's choice is to be their next head coach? Well, see, this is the beautiful thing. This is the great thing. And it's kind of what I hit in that last one. Where are you going to go? Fans don't want anyone who is not a proven winner and you're going to spend big money to go get the guy. Well, they did that. They did that. They went the up-and-comer route with Kevin Sumlin. Then they went and they got Jimbo Fisher, national champion from Florida State. Yeah, we're going to pay him a ton to get him here and do it. And it fell apart and you fired him. Uh, there is no perfect target guy. I don't know where they go. Is it? Uh, do they look at Elko at Duke, who's had ties back to Texas A&M? Uh, I saw an interesting name kick around. Uh, it's rare. I don't think anyone would leave the NFL, but Dan Campbell, who's done a great job with the Detroit Lions, he's a Texas A&M guy. Uh, could they offer him insane money to say, hey, you're having success with the Lions, but come back and start recruiting and dealing with the transfer portal? I don't see it. I don't know where they go. I think you fired a guy and there's no other big name out there and fans are only going to want a big name. So what do you do? Uh, I, I don't know. Um in terms of automatic, usually at this time of year, you've got some people that everyone targets. You mentioned some people maybe reaching out to Kirby Smart. Uh, you, you, come on. <laughs> He's not a flight. I was talking about Glenn Schumann. I don't know. Kirby's not going anywhere. I was talking okay. about his okay. defensive coordinator. I started to say he's a, he's not a flight risk. Nobody they could offer him the moon. He's not leaving his alma mater. Uh, yeah, you may have to go get an assistant. But, again, if you're trying to please the fan base, that going to work. I'm going to throw this name at you. I want to throw this name at you. And I'm – I'm closer to it because he was at Georgia, and I have followed him intently. You mentioned Saban and Smart. I think there's a third proven winner. I think there's a third can't-miss star, and I think his name is Dan Lanning. And I think he is I, a guy I that can – You can say that out there. Okay. I love this guy. He's intense. He, he's got his Kirbyisms about – you know what he did earlier this year? And it was kind of controversial, and there's probably still some people that's, that would say it was controversial. But he called out Deion Sanders. Back when yes. everybody was riding the Deion Sanders Colorado hype train, it was Lanning that called this guy out and went against the grain. And there were some people that were really upset 
with Dan Lanning. And they, they even found a way to blame him for winning the game because, again, everybody was in love with this Colorado yeah, yeah. transfer model. And, and here's the thing, and I said this before the, the Georgia Ole Miss game. I got on my soapbox a little bit. And I said, you know what this game is to me? This is an old, traditional built program at Georgia that has three transfers on the whole roster. That's all they got. You got a quarterback that waited three years behind other people to finally get a start versus I called old Miss the replacements. You've got 28 transfers in the 2D. You got quarterbacks that want to come play for lane and audition every year. And this is this rapid ready-made, you know, quick make out of a box football team that you can replace and repair and, and, and every year reload. And, and John, that does seem to be where, college football is going not everybody i know has the ability to recruit the sorts of players that georgia does more teams do now i mean you might say well they were paying well everybody's paying players now so that's not it it's all about retention and i believe it's about the the program harmony and locker room i give kirby credit because during covid i think he discovered this you know find each other's why they had to spend more time with one another and i and i know again i know it sounds cliche but i think he found a winning edge because i think kirby realized that you know it's going to be hard for coach for players to want to stick around to play for the coach right but they'll stick around and play for each other especially now that you can pay them i've always said that recruiting is one thing but retention is where alabama was winning those titles i go back to 2020 and I look at Mac Jones being a senior, and I look at Najee Harris being a senior, and Devontae Smith being – I said, how does Alabama got five seniors? And, and what well, if Georgia they... got DeAndre Swift back another year? What if Jake Fromm had come back? I think Georgia's the 20, but Alabama retained, right? So now the name of the game is retention. And I don't think that the Colorados and the old misses, when, when the stuff hits the fan, the transfer guys don't have a relationship with one another. The transfer guys don't really play for the emblem on the helmet or good old you. They haven't had enough $100 handshakes. They got the $10,000 contract up front. And they don't perform well at the end of the season as opposed to maybe some of these other programs that are well, built with this. Now, I think Lanning is a guy that can build like that. And I think you got to pick and choose and, and get guys. And you're going to have to, you know, Clemson's learned at Georgia. As I said, they've got a few guys. They're using them. You're going to have to fill a couple spots. But just in general, as, as I come back to you now and ask you about how programs are built, what's going to be closer to the norm? Is there going to be some backlash at some point? Are we going to see everybody within the guardrails? Look into your crystal ball for me with NIL and college football. How does it look? Well, let me, okay, uh, let me backtrack a little bit. The retention thing, that's rich people problems. That's That sounds like something Georgia and Alabama people would worry about. Uh, most everyone else right now, yes, you want to keep the guys you've got, but you're, you're constantly on the lookout for other people as well. you got to bring in more guys. The Georgia and the Alabamas have a built-in advantage right now because basically they crank out half the first round of the NFL draft every year. So you're getting guys who know, all right, some of these schools, like a guy goes to Colorado, I'm going to play. I am going to get on the field and I'm playing for this star Deion Sanders and it's going to be fun. If, you trans if you're playing at Georgia or Alabama, part of it is he's going to put me on that assembly line that, that and I'm going to come off the other end as a first round draft pick, second round draft pick. He's going to make me money. So there's built in reason to stick around there, I think, because if I stay here, he's going to turn me into 
a top NFL draft pick. So that's an incentive that no other schools can offer right now. I mean, Ohio State, I guess, cranks a lot of guys into the pros. They would probably have that. So I think the retention thing, yes, it's very important. I mean, Tennessee, for example, they don't want to be losing a bunch of guys this offseason. That loss to Missouri, my first thought after that loss was, okay, how many guys who weren't happy with the playing time are now saying, well, I'm not happy with the playing time, and what's the point of sticking around if we're only going to win eight games a year? And so retention is an issue, but I think it's a bigger issue at places that are already fully loaded because at other schools, you're worrying about bringing new guys in and on top of trying to retain. And it's bringing new guys in, which is the key. Uh, I'll throw out one other name that you just happened to mention in terms of Texas A&M, and I will get to your NIL question. But the other name, you throw out Dan Lanning. Here's a guy who I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. He's doing a good job at Ole Miss. But – I can picture Texas A&M people convincing themselves, hey, Lane Kiffin is not scared of anybody. He talks the talk. He just went straight at Jimbo, beat Jimbo, afraid of nothing. And if he's winning 10 games and getting to New Year's six-day bowls at Ole Miss, what could he do with us at College Station? Whether Lane would take it or not, I don't know, but he sure likes to flirt. Flirted hard and long with Auburn. A&M's a better gig than Auburn. So just file that one away. The Lane Kiffin to Texas A&M thing, that's the kind of splashy nonsense that they may go after. Uh, in terms of the NIL and where this thing's going, I haven't a clue. Uh, it's it's you kind of I, I don't like it. I don't think fans will like it long term. I said when John Calipari started bringing in a, a new starting five every year in basketball that eventually Kentucky fans are going to get to the point where you're looking at it going, well, wait a second, John Wall. Was he on our national championship team? No, no, he was here four years later. What about that other? You don't remember any of them. You know, there is no – how many Georgia fans now can sit there and say, oh, I remember Lindsey Scott. Four years he was here. He did this and that. I remember this guy. He was a freshman, then he, then he got better as a sophomore. He changed positions as a junior. You don't get that anymore. Now with all these guys transferring in, transferring out, and NILing in and NILing out – it's just a revolving door, and I think that that lessens the tie, I think, between fan and player because you don't know the player. You don't get to know the player. You don't get to watch them grow up. I think that's a bad thing, and if it's a bad thing, does it continue? I don't see how you ever put the toothpaste back in the tube. I can only see it opening up even more to the point where players are eventually paid employees. Uh, if that's the case, then you're talking about an all-around all shift in the game because you're not going to have 130 schools playing at this level having to do that. They're not going to have the money to do it. So then you really do get into the world of, all right, some sort of SEC has 25 teams, Big Ten has 25 teams, that's it. It's its own little college NFL. Unfortunately, my thinking is that's where it's going to go first. Uh, the interesting thing, though, and I do believe this, and we're talking 50, 60, 70 years. Go back and look. The SEC and the ACC started as the Southern Conference. It was one huge amalgamation of teams. Then they broke off to be more regional. Let's get more regional. Now they're all coalescing in into these giant groups that aren't very regional. I bet you decades from now, when you and I are rotting in the grave, these leagues, these super leagues, will start saying, Rutgers and Maryland are going to say, why the hell are we playing Nebraska and UCLA? We need to be with Penn State, Pitt, West Virginia on the east. The SEC will start saying, you know what? Why do we have Oklahoma? 
we, we need to get back more toward the South. Clemson makes more sense than Oklahoma. I just think that some of this stuff, it's all coming together now because everybody thinks it's worth, it's worth the money. Eventually, I think you can see it all break apart again. It's like the continents. If you've, if you've studied the earth long enough, it started with Pangea. It all broke apart, but they're all coming back together at some point. So long-term NIL, do I think it's good for the game? No, but I think it's fair, if that makes sense. I, I, I'm not against it because I think the players should get something. I don't like what it does, but I do it's think kind it's, it's going to be there. Long-term, I don't think it's good for the sport. We'll see. Yeah, kind of hard to complain about NIL when Jimbo Fisher is getting a $75 million buyout uh, for yes. doing nothing. John, before I let you go, Tennessee did play Alabama earlier this year. They did have the tie down, two touchdowns. We know that Georgia and Alabama are going to meet in the SEC championship game as Kirby checks off his list. Uh, you know, he finally beat Ole Miss, so that means he's beat every team in the league. We talked about the win streak. We talked earlier in the show about the Georgia-Tennessee matchup, about once Georgia gets ahead, you say turn the lights out. Historically, Tennessee's not been able to come for more than 11 down under Josh Heupel. When we look at the Georgia-Alabama matchup, Georgia has not beaten Alabama in an SEC championship game yet. Will they beat Alabama this year in Atlanta? I think so. Uh, and the reason being Jalen Milrow is, is getting better. At quarterback, again, there's two teams that can cons- two coaches consistently have their teams getting better as the year goes on, Alabama and Georgia. Not always, but typically you can count on those two coaches to do it. Milrow's getting better. I think the offense is figuring out how to use him more. I think he set a record this past Saturday, three touchdowns, running three touchdown passing, first Alabama quarterback to do that, which to me, considering the Alabama quarterbacks they've had the last few years, it's kind of amazing there are any records left to set, but they got that one. That said, as good as he is becoming, I still think he's he's not the level they have had in the past. And I think that eventually that Georgia defense will exploit that weakness. They are so good. Uh, so I, I would take Georgia in that game. Uh, at the same time, if I'm a Georgia fan, the law of averages is the law of averages for a reason. It's hard to just keep winning, especially against programs like Nick Saban and like Alabama. You're going to have to beat what's been the best program over the country in the country over the last decade, the best coach in the history of the sport. That's a tough ask to do that on top of 27, 28 in a row. So uh, I, I think that it would be a good game. I would look forward to it. Uh, but I think Georgia's just got a little bit more in tank than, than Alabama does. Uh, I, you know, they're not the same team that lost to Texas at the same team. At the same time, they're not the same Alabama team we've seen in previous years. Yeah. And I'd say the same for Georgia, not the same as 2021, 2022 big picture on your national map. Who's Georgia's biggest threat in the college football playoff. <laughs> Depends on who's coaching Michigan. Uh, it's, it's hard for me <laughs> having, having lived up there. It's hard for me to buy into Michigan. I've just seen them, to put it in in SEC terms, Tennessee has always been that, they've either been second to Florida or second to Alabama. They're always really good, but they're typically second. That's Michigan in the Big Ten. It's hard for me. They they find a way to not win at all. Last year, the way they lost to TCU. So I don't know that I trust their talent. They've got some. I don't know that I trust all think of the pressure and heat that is going to be on that team once they get into the playoffs. If this because you know this this uh this sideshow is not going to go away. It's going to be a bigger story. Everyone's going to be talking about it. Maybe the us against the world thing helps them, but I would say Michigan has the best roster right now. I just don't believe in them. Um Washington has the big play potential, certainly. 
but I don't buy in them either. I'm going to go with Ohio State. Ohio State gave you guys a really good game last year in the in the playoffs. I think Ryan Day probably has a chip on his shoulder. If they get past Michigan or if they make the playoff with a one game uh, with one loss on the season, I think Ohio State's the biggest danger, to be honest with you. Yeah, and they did. That was a fantastic football game that came right down to the stroke of midnight and a filed field, a final field goal. It took Brock Bowers with his incredible matrix play talk about a superman hopefully this guy gets to new york as a heisman finalist i think he's been the most valuable player john you had a thought on uh, brock bowers and well i was just going to say you know the the tightrope surgery that he went through to get back as quickly as he did that's going to be an interesting thing to watch down the road because i know there are some players in the nfl who've gone through it and now wonder if they should have gone through it uh it's such a new procedure that you hate to use the word guinea pig but in some ways, these guys, we don't know what this tightrope stuff's going to do five, six years down the road. It gets you back quick, but there are a lot of people in NFL circles who feel that, yes, it gets you back quick for the team. It may not be what's best for the player. Now, I'm not questioning Georgia. I'm not knocking Brock Bowers for doing it. In fact, praise him. This is a guy who, instead of saying, I'm going to do whatever I can to protect my pro career, he said, I want to get back. It would make me love Brock Bowers if I'm a Georgia fan. At the same time, that that tightrope surgery is an interesting thing to watch. And since you brought him up, I just wanted to throw that out there because if, if you read enough and hear enough, especially in NFL circles, there's more, you know, there, there are more people, more agents. You got agents in the NFL who talk about their clients, whereas college, they just take the advice. You should do this. Okay. And they go and do it. NFL, you got agents saying, uh, millions are involved. And I happen to have a, a player who went through that last year on my favorite team. And there was a pretty big debate. His agent did not want him to do it because it is not a proven procedure yet. So that's just one to watch down the road to see if, you know, guys like Tua, guys like Bowers ever have any kind of negative uh, spinoff of that tightrope surgery. But kudos to anyone who busts their butt and takes a, a new procedure to get themselves back on the field. Bowers, best player in the country in my mind. I know his, his position isn't quarterback, which means you're not going to win the Heisman. But to me, that guy is unbelievable in everything he does. Yeah, he's a game changer. That's coming from a Patriots fan that watched Gronk do it. So you have an appreciation like a few others for that position. And, and Bowers is that kind of guy. He's a guy you get the ball to in the clutch. He's a guy that doesn't ever seem to lead, 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 let you down. And he's a guy that is a game changer. And I've said, I don't think Georgia would have won the last two national titles without Brock Bowers. Yeah. That's how much of a game changer he is. The other teams spend their entire time trying to scheme around this guy and they just fall apart around that because they, the other people are able to step up and do things and they get manipulated. John, thank you so much for your time. This has been a fun show, a lot of insight into where Tennessee's at right now, the pulse. The thing is, things change quickly there, as high as the balls were last year that went over Clemson. I didn't see that coming. I'm just going to say, I, I'm not counting Tennessee out in this game. The fact that Georgia's had a tendency to fall behind the fact that Neyland stadium. Yes. I've got, I've got a good, if Tennessee's going to beat Georgia, they're going to need to win the turnover battle. Here's one that I was digging up the other day, put it on the show. I was, I just thought, when's the last time Tennessee won the turnover battle in a Georgia game, just a random thought. So I started going back and I had to go back and I had to go back and I had to go back. The last time Tennessee won the turnover battle in a game with Georgia Lane Kiffin was the Vols head coach in 2009. That, if Tennessee's going to beat Georgia, and you're right, look, whether they're up on Hypel or down on Hypel right now, it will be loud. It will be packed on Saturday. But they're going to have to win the turtle battle to win that game. And that's something they have not won 
against Georgia since 2009. That's 13 games, and the Vols are 2-11 and 11 in those games. So, little stat for you. Going to be very important for Carson back to handle the crowd noise. Kirby earlier this year told us when you play these games, you restrict your offense a little bit more. You don't do as much, so you don't have to rely on the communication. So line of scrimmage be very big. Both these teams are going to try to establish the run. Don't underestimate the Tennessee run game. This was a team that led the league in rushing going into this game against Missouri. This is a team that had Alabama down two touchdowns in Tuscaloosa at the half. So keep that in mind. I know Georgia fans all week long looking forward to it. You see the star of Knoxville behind me. That's going to be Friday. We've got our Dog Nation Ovation coming up. So far, I think that, I think it was a sellout. I, there may be, a, I don't know if there's an alternate list, but it's going to be a really big deal uh, for Georgia. I know it's going to be a big deal for Georgia fans. And there's going to be just thousands and thousands of fans at this game. Um, up against Tennessee, Dolly Parton is going to be there. Don't forget Dolly. Got to see Dolly. Hopefully we'll see Dolly on the Jumbotron. John, thanks again. John Pennington from SportsSource.tv. I'm Mike Griffith. Don't forget, every day at 10 a.m., Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams. On Wednesday night, it's Jeff Centel before the Hedges. On Thursday night, it's the Happy Hour Show with Kaylee Manziel from Marlowe's. On Saturday morning, it's our Tailgater Show with Kaylee. This week, she'll be in Knoxville on location. Jittery Joes helps bring that to you. And Sunday night, Connor and coverage. For John Pennington, this is Mike Griffith, my producer, Michael Carvel. Have a great week, everybody.